Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Monday, January the 2nd, 2023 at 1013 a.m. Central Time. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first Today's Focus broadcast for 2023. Yes, it's a new year, but we really can't do a new thing, right? We, we, have to, we have to continue to work on an old thing, something we started in 2022. But yes, this is the first Today's Focus episode for a brand new year. I don't know. I have no idea what 2023 holds and neither do you. We, we have no idea. Uh, but we will take it day by day, and hopefully each time I turn on this microphone, I can try to produce something that will be helpful, beneficial, challenging, thought-provoking. Yes, at times it will it will lead you to disagree and maybe make you angry, but in, in, a, in, in a certain way, I hope that you appreciate that because I'm not here just to try to quote-unquote support a team, but to challenge us to try to find truth. That we're all, we're all sinners, whether you want to admit it or not. We're all sinners, and we're all trying to figure out this, this, this Christian life, and we're trying to figure out what the scriptures mean, and hopefully we are doing this together, and you appreciate that. But for today's focus, for January the 2nd, 2023, we're going to once again focus in on made-up Bible verses. Remember the end of last year. It was so long ago. Remember the end of last year. I received an email, and someone sent me an email. And remember the, t- the subject line for that email read, Eight key Bible verses were just made up. Eight key Bible verses were just made up. Christianity invents as needed. And remember, this email obviously was taken from an article. I did find the article. It took me a while, but I did find the article. And they just basically cut and paste the article and sent it to me. Uh, Here is how the article begins. Just to remind you, when I grew up in church, what people called Christianity mostly boiled down to a couple of Bible verses. I learned later they were all faked. Now, remember, we've already talked about this now numerous times. It's bizarre to me that this individual somehow perceived that Christianity was boiled down to just a few Bible verses. Christianity is based on all of the scripture, all 66 books, every single verse is essential to Christianity. So that already, I don't know what kind of Christianity they were exposed to, but they, sadly, either they were exposed to a really shallow form of Christianity or they weren't paying attention. You never really know exactly what happens. And there's some of this that's clearly either this is a reflection of the Christianity that they sat under, or this is a reflection of them paying attention to the Christianity they sat under, because all I can tell you is something went horribly, horribly, horribly wrong in their understanding of Christianity. But according to them, Christianity just made up eight Bible verses. We just made them made them up, and no one has figured it out. But this person wrote an article and posted it on the internet so that all of us foolish Christians could realize, oh, Right here in my in my book bag. Oh, I have I have all these Bibles. 
have all these Bibles in my book bag. Here, here we go. Here's another one. Oh, there, there. I have all so many of them here in my book bag. Oh, here's another one. I have, I have multiple Bibles in my book bag wherever I go. Okay, there we go. I, I make sure I have plenty. But somehow that there are verses in the in these Bibles that were just made up, and so we've been working through this person's list of eight. Now, let me say something. This is very important. This is very important. And and remember, these episodes have gone longer than they're supposed to, and and that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm bothered by it, but I'm not bothered by it. Sometimes you just have to let the the topic, you have to let the subject matter maybe determine the length of the program. But I will will try to hurry. But I want you to understand something. This is very important. If you don't get anything else from this this kind of mini series we're doing for the today's focus podcast about made up Bible verses, I want you to at least hear me out because I think this is important. Yes, I have made maybe some sarcastic remarks and maybe I've made some jokes about how this person has perceived things, but I want to get very, very serious with you. As a believer, whenever we hear someone criticizes Christianity, they're skeptical about Christianity, they throw their doubts, they throw their their rejection of it out. Please at least remember this. And, and I know many Christians will disagree with me, but I, I, I don't care. I, I think the mindset that some Christians have here is just absolutely just shocking. Here's what I want you to remember. We always need to actually listen to the people. We need to actually show them that, no, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and I'm doing my best to consider what you're saying. Some some Christians have this attitude, oh, whatever, what? who cares, well, whatever. They just kind of shrug their shoulders. I don't care what their criticism is. I don't care what they say. And, and to me, that's so disrespectful because I want them to know, no, 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 no. I listen carefully to what you say, and I'm going to consider it. And I hope that I've taken the time through these supposed eight Bible verses or these claims of eight Bible verses being made up. I hope that I've demonstrated you know, at times you've heard my frustration, but I hope that I've demonstrated that I'm trying to take these, these accusations seriously, right? I've, I've said that they did a very good job demonstrating that Jeremiah 17.9 in the Hebrew text is very different than Jeremiah 17.9 in the Septuagint. That's something that we need to spend more time with. When they, when they talked about, you know, the, uh, the discipline of children and that in Proverbs talking about the rod and that the rod could represent different things. Once again, I try to consider that when they talked about how they, that in their estimation, purity does not equal virginity. I try to at least consider, uh, how Christians have met, maybe made mistakes in regards to the subject of purity. I, I, I have tried my best to be fair, not because I'm more spiritual, not because I'm more godly. It's because I'm very aware of my own failings and my, and my own fallibility. I'm not infallible. So whatever understanding I have, look, sometimes critics are the, sometimes critics are absolutely our best friends because they sometimes challenge us to go back and go, well, wait a minute. Are we sure it says that? Wait a minute. Are, are, are we sure we're reading that? Wait, I think we could be wrong here. And, and some Christians get nervous about that, but I don't. I, I'm like, I welcome it. And then what I try to do is I always try to set aside whatever my previous understanding was. I try to set it aside. Look, I tried to listen carefully 
to I'll just let's just go through these quickly. Just we'll, we will review and then we'll just finish the one for today. We're just, we're doing one at a time. Originally, this was I was just going to do like three or four in one episode and then four in the next. But some of these required a little bit more time. But here are the supposed eight Bible verses that were made up. That's the way they list them. When you will read some of these, you'll notice it really isn't one Bible verse. It's more what they're really claiming is eight concepts that Christianity made up. That's really probably how they should have written the article, but, you know, that's okay. Number one, they claim that, Gen- that they ask the question, does Genesis say the world is evil? They claim that Christians made up the idea that the world is evil. They seem to completely not understand that we don't say the world is evil. We say the world is under the curse of sin and the world is suffering the consequences of sin and all of creation groans. I don't know how they they completely, I don't know what in the world they were doing. I don't know what Christianity they, they set under, but they misunderstood something. Number two, they go, uh, they say, uh, they, they basically call into question Jeremiah 17, 9, as it's translated in most English translations. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And remember, my argument is okay, I will, I will play along. Let's throw out Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, and let's throw it out that it doesn't teach human depravity. I can still prove human depravity going from Genesis to Revelation and skip Jeremiah 17.9. So you you haven't proved anything, but you did raise a a very important point that the Hebrew text and the Septuagint are very different in in Jeremiah 17.9. Number three, he has uh, basically Matthew 5.28, where it says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. They claim that Jesus isn't referring to an inner erotic interest as being bad. And they, do, they don't really do a very good job of explaining exactly what Jesus meant, but that was their claim. Number four, where in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, where it says, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. They argue that the word burn there means to be burning with grief. That in other words, if you're grieving because you're single, get married. That this has nothing to do with burning with sexual desire, that this is burning with grief. But it, I, if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter is really about sex. So obviously this burning, or even if you want to call it grieving, they're grieving because, well, they can't have sex because they're not married. So Paul's advice is get married so that that burning, if you don't, if you want to refer to it as grief, the grief makes no sense in the context, would go away. But clearly it's about sex and they basically mock that claim. Number five, uh, does God tell you to spank your children? They go after Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children. They tried to make an argument that the, the word rod there can refer to something positive, a an instrument of authority. It's just a symbol of authority, uh, something of guidance, something to help, something to heal, something to comfort. And we, we, we looked at all of those claims and I took them seriously, but we also looked at the rest of Proverbs where the word rod is used. And I think we saw that it definitely can be an instrument of inflicting some kind of punishment. And, and we talked about all of that. Then number six was, does purity mean virginity? That one was just bizarre to me because he gets preoccupied by the word purity and not just look at the entire New Testament teaching on sexual morality. And I don't know what point they tried to, hey, 
the word purity doesn't have anything to do with virginity, so you can have sex with whoever you want. Well, no, the New Testament would not. You don't need the word purity to uh, to argue against sexual immorality or premarital sex. So it was really, it was a strange argument. Now, today, number seven. Here we go. Number seven, and this one, now this one is where I'm going to lose my patience a little bit. And I'm going to lose my patience first at Christianity. And then secondly, I'm going to get a little frustrated with the author of this because obviously they have not spent any time actually exploring the world of Christianity because there's, there is definitely room in, in certain aspects of uh, certain elements of Christianity that does not act the way he's about to describe. But here is what he says. See, these again are supposedly eight Bible verses that we made up. And you're, and you're kind of noticing if you've been with us, there's not really specific Bible verses in some of these cases. It's more of a concept that he is accusing Christianity to just make up. And here is clearly a concept that Christian, that he feels Christianity made up. Are you ready? Number seven is faith believing everything you're told. Now, he believes that Christianity just made up this idea that, hey, if you have faith, you just believe what we tell you and you don't question it. This is how it, they, the author describes it. When you grow up Christian, you're to believe whatever you're told and not to think about it. No proof required. Just believe, have faith. Now, first of all, whoever emailed me this either has never listened to this program or B, they, they just simply wanted to hear me lose my mind. If anyone knows anything about me, my, anyone in my church would tell you that I say something all the time. Question everything. Question everything. I'm the one constantly going, well, wait a minute. If the Bible says this, well, what about this? Wait, the Bi if the Bible says this, I question everything. I challenge everything. And I don't question and challenge simply to come up with more questions, never trying to find the truth. But I question things in order to find the truth. Because I believe Christianity is more than capable of handling people's skepticism, its doubt, its struggle. And I believe that kind of questioning and challenging and searching and trying to figure it out should be first evident in the pulpit so that the people in the pew can feel, can feel that they are able and welcomed to ask those kinds of questions. However, I have heard many Christians say, that they always feel like they're not, they can't ask those questions or people look at them weird or people, and I, and that, whenever I hear that, I, it bothers me so much because I'm like, why, why would any church, why would any Christian look at someone who asks questions and struggle and doubt as somehow being suspicious? It's the ones, to me, it's the ones who question, who doubt, who struggle. Those are the ones I feel are the most spiritually mature. The spiritually immature are the ones who just like, that's the way it is. And then they, they are dismissive of anyone else, condemns anyone else who struggles and just say, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. 
Spiritual maturity means you've spent, you've grown, you've spent time. And if you spent time reading and studying the Bible, if you spent time studying church history, if you spent time reading theology, you, 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 you become immediately aware, whoa, wait a minute. Nobody agrees on anything. It's mass. It's a, it's a sea of confusion out there. Everyone has their own questions. So it's okay to question and doubt and to struggle. So I don't know what this person experienced, but it, 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 it bothers me. They go on to say this, and faith is explained, as Matthew W. Bates explains, as a superior way of knowing what is true and what is false. Isn't it clear in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? As Bates notes in a recent study, uh, the word faith or the word used for faith actually refers to a political context. In 1 Maccabees, a king checks in with an ally and says, now continue still to keep faith with us and we will repay you with good for what you do for us. In the New Testament, Jesus is a king, and as Bates notes, the faith concept seems to be putting your trust or loyalty or allegiance in him, just as you would a human ruler. It never meant don't think. Well, whoever said it meant don't think? Now look, if there's Christians out there giving anyone the idea that, hey, don't think, just believe, don't question, don't doubt, that... That is a dangerous form of Christianity, and you need to go find Christians who will allow you to express your questions and your doubts. Look, I do it. I say it all the Anyone who knows me, I, I say it all the time. To me, the most troubling verse in the entire Bible is Genesis 1.1. Starting with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm like, wait a minute, time out. Nothing makes any sense. The whole thing is confusing to me. I've got a million questions because the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. Wait a minute. So there's a God creating and this God is all powerful and all knowing. All right. Now, if he's all knowing, he's got to know what's coming. So why would he create a world that he knows what's coming? That makes no sense to me. And if he's all powerful, he could prevent what's coming, but he doesn't prevent. And it's just one question after another question after another question. Does that make me not have faith? Does that prove that I that I know that doesn't prove weak faith? See, weak faith doesn't question. Strong, mature faith questions, struggles. Doubts. I, 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 I completely reject the idea that a strong faith never questions and never doubts. I just disagree with that. Because if you have a strong faith, you're comfortable. You're comfortable enough to go, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. I, I have a completely different perspective, and I hate that many people have, have experienced this idea. They go on to say, but the religion removed the surrounding context and told members to stop questioning anything they're told, or it would be a lack of faith. That was sheer religious gaslighting. Now, I, I, now once again, he, the, the problem with the author is that he just seems to think that whatever Christianity he experienced was the beginning and the end, and that's the way Christianity is. I don't know what kind of church this person went to. I wish... They would tell me what church they went to, the years they attended said church, 
And I would love to go back and find the sermons of that time and go, what are you talking about? Because look at this or this. But, you know, the person's not going to provide that information. And I don't know what kind of church it was. Maybe, maybe it was as bad as this. But I cannot believe that there's a church out there telling people, don't think. Don't question. Just accept. I know that there, there are churches out there who do that because I've heard other people talk about their struggles within Christianity of not being able to do that. But I just reject it. A weak faith, a weak faith, I think is the one who, they can't handle the questions. They can't handle the doubts. They, they, they fall apart. They, they get, they get defensive. They get, they get, they almost take it personal. But I think a strong, mature faith can be like, well, yeah, I don't have any clue what's going on here. And I don't, I don't know what, what in the world is happening here. And whoa, is that not messed up? And why, why, and just scripture after scripture, there's questions and there's doubts. Now, I think, yes, there's always a danger because there's always some who will just question everything, but they don't really want answers. Now, there's some people who just question and question and question. They don't really want answers. They don't really want to do the work. They really don't want to study. They don't, they're not really interested in finding truth. They just want to use the questions almost as a, an excuse to, to justify whatever action they want to do. That's not what we're talking about, all right? A weak faith doesn't want to question because it can't handle it. A strong, mature faith questions and doubts and struggles because it feels confident that you can do that and, and, and yet commit yourself to trying to figure out the truth to the best of your ability. So I, I, I don't think, uh, see, I, I'm, 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 I'm conflicted here because I know that there is some Christianity, there is a form of Christianity out there that may do this. So I, so that kind of Christianity makes me angry and I would condemn it and outright say it's wrong. So on one hand, I want to blame Christianity for this. But on the other hand, if you're going to write an article and post it on the internet, at least do a little bit of research so that you can immediately realize, well, wait a minute, not clearly not all Christians act like that. Clearly not all Christians think that way. So maybe before I accuse Christianity of just making this up, who like who was show me where Christianity started making it up? Hey, don't question and don't doubt. There have been Christians who have done that, but show me the official teachings within Christianity where it says, never question, never doubt. I, I just don't, I, I just, I don't know. I think that that is something that some individual Christians and maybe individual churches and individual pastors have embraced the concept at some point, but I don't think it is that wide spread. I, I I think most Christians do question and do doubt and do struggle. And I don't think, I, th I think, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to measure it. I mean, because, because obviously I've been the kind of Christian that's been questioning and doubting and struggling my whole life. And I do realize that there's times my questioning and doubting has gotten me in trouble with Christians. So I do know it happens. So I don't want to deny it. I just, he just makes it sound like every Christian. And I know that's not true. So today's focus, let's do it this way. Clearly, this is not, he's not really giving us a made up Bible verse. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to consider 
a Christianity that says never doubt, never question, believe what you're told, what would be the positives that would arise from that kind of Christianity? And what would be the negatives that would arise from that kind of Christianity? I, I want you, I want you to consider two, like two different streams of Christianity. And stream number one is do not question, do not doubt, do not do that. Just believe. All right. What, what is the strength and what is the negative of that kind of Christianity? And then I want you to kind of consider a Christianity that says, no, 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 no. Question, doubt, struggle. What is the strength and what is the negative of that kind of Christianity? That's what I want you to focus on today and talk about it with other people. What kind of Christianity have you experienced? The, the, the ne- never question kind and what was the positive and negative on your life? Or have you experienced the let's challenge everything. Let's question everything. Let's struggle with everything. What was the positive? And what was the negative? I know that there have been plenty of people who've come into my church who do not like my questioning and doubting and struggling with everything because they feel like they never know for sure what we're supposed to believe. Like, wait, wait last year we believed that. Well, we're going to question and doubt it and, and test it again. Some people that drives them insane. They need like, this is what I believe. This is right. And everyone else is wrong. Okay. And I don't like that way of thinking. So I don't know. I would love to get your thoughts on questions and doubting and faith not being a doctrine, an idea that that prohibits questioning and doubt. I think questioning and doubting perfectly fits in with faith. I I do. I I don't I don't see it that way. I trust in God and have faith in the word of God, but I'm going to question and doubt and struggle. And I think the two can coexist. You may disagree. I would love to get your thoughts. So that's kind of what I want you to focus in on today. And I'll stop right there. There is your today's focus. The first today's focus for 2023. It is January the 2nd, 2023. And I want you to focus on faith, doubt, two kinds of Christianity, and I would love to get your thoughts. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com.